0: This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 47.
1: Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber.
0: Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. This is a special episode of the show as we are actually adding a new series of episodes specifically for investors. Now, the show is going to continue to go on just like it has, but in addition to the types of episodes that you're used to, I'm also going to publish another new episode every month, which will benefit you in two ways primarily. So first, it's going to keep you informed about what is currently going on in the markets with your investments and the investing world in general. So we hear a lot of doom and gloom in the media. There's a lot of misinformation, and it's very easy to become worried about your investments when you hear all the negativity and speculation. And without the right information, it's easy to become emotional and maybe make a rash decision based on some news that we hear uh, only to re- really regret it later. So in this episode series, the goal is to be the voice of reason and tell you what you need to know with no biases or conflicts of interest so we're not selling any investments here so that you can make an informed, rational decision that serves you best. Now, the second purpose of this new series of episodes is to answer listener and reader questions from Canadian investors. Now, I know I get more questions than I can possibly get to from the show, and as you may know, I partner with Five I Research, and they've literally been asked thousands of questions over the years. And so, I thought it would be great for us to answer some of the listener and reader questions that we receive on both of our sides. So, if you'd like to ask a question, just go to BuildWealthCanada.ca and sign up for the email newsletter right on that main page. You'll get a free gift when you do this. You'll be informed when new episodes are released, and when you sign up, you'll get an automated email from me. So. So all you have to do is hit reply to that email with your question and we'll do our very best to have it on the show. Now, I do want to set the expectation with this new series that despite us talking about the markets and about the topics that are currently on the minds of investors and answering questions, this isn't going to be a series about timing the markets or day trading or completely speculative get-rich-quick investing, okay? Instead, it's meant to keep you educated and informed on what is happening in the market so that you can be an educated and informed investor with a long-term outlook on your investments while hopefully getting some of your investment questions answered as well. So my co-host for this series is Ryan Modesto. He is the CEO of Five Eye Research, which is an investment research company that provides unbiased research on Canadian stocks and ETFs. Ryan holds a Chartered Financial Analyst designation, so CFA, and is frequently featured on The Globe and Mail, The Financial Post, and you've probably seen him on TV as he's frequently a guest on BNN as well, providing his latest research and insights. Now, Ryan and his research team have also answered over 75,000 investing questions from Canadians across the country through their Q&A service, and I'm thrilled to have his expertise on the show. Now, as a listener of the BuildWolf Canada show, you can actually get full access to all of Ryan's and his team's research for free for an entire month. So basically, you get full access to all the stock and ETF recommendations, all their model portfolios, as well as their database of over 75,000 answered investing questions. And I definitely encourage you to check it out as at the very least, you'll learn a ton and it's all free anyway. And if for some strange reason that's not enough, I've also arranged for Build Wealth Canada listeners to get two extra bonuses. So the first is that when you sign up for the free trial, you'll also get a one-year paid digital subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine, absolutely free. This is the exact same magazine that you see at Chapters and other stores all over Canada. It's the largest personal finance and investing magazine in Canada. I actually write for it too, and you get the entire subscription for free for an entire year, no strings attached, just for signing up for the free 30-day access to 5i Research. And then the second bonus is that you'll also get one question credit for free, on the Five Eye Research site. So you can actually ask Five Eyes research team your most pressing investment question, and they'll answer it for you using the knowledge and investment tools that you and I simply don't have access to. So enjoy, it's all free. You'll learn an absolute ton, and you can get it all by going to buildwealthcanada.ca/slash research. That's buildwealthcanada.ca/slash research. Now, before we get into the show, I have some exciting news as my favorite bank that I've been using and recommending for years has agreed to sponsor the show and you can now get one of the highest savings rates in Canada for free by going to Build Wealth Canada dotca eq that's built with canada.ca the letter e and the letter q so the reason that i've been recommending eq bank to anybody that's asked me is because over the time that i've been with them which is ever since they first started in 2016 in canada they have consistently had one of the highest interest savings rates compared to all the other banks it's totally free to join there's no monthly fees and as an extra perk eq bank will give you five free interact e-transfers every single month And just to put things in perspective, at the time of this recording, their Savings Plus account automatically gives you 2.3% interest, while the other online banks in Canada are offering a maximum of 1.25%. And if you're still banking with one of the larger banks, then you're getting less than 1% typically. In other words, by using the bank that I use, you're going to almost double the interest you get from your checking and savings accounts for free. And this is why I've been using and recommending them for years to anybody that's asked, and even before they became a sponsor on the show. Now, even if you love your current bank just for regular day-to-day use, why wouldn't you at least keep your emergency fund and any extra cash that you're not investing in your savings account over at EQ? That way, you're at least earning over double the interest on your checking and savings accounts compared to your current bank. And that's actually what I did when when I first started with them years ago. And since then, I've actually transitioned to them now being our primary bank. So I definitely recommend that you sign up and take advantage of this for free by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. You'll get one of the highest interest rates in Canada and have my sincere gratitude for helping support the show at no cost to you. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. And just as an aside, they've also recently launched their own GICs where you can actually get up to 3.52% interest, which is, at the time of this recording, also one of the highest rates available in Canada for GICs. So if you're willing to lock in your money for a bit, you can actually get that even higher rate of up to 3.52%. And you can learn more about that by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash GIC. All right, now, before we jump in, we do need to add a disclaimer. So 5i Research and Build Canada are not registered investment advisors. Any information, recommendations, or statements of opinion provided here are for general information purposes only. All opinions expressed by Ryan Cornell and any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of 5i Research. This podcast is for information purposes only. It should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Do not buy or sell any stock without conducting your own due diligence or consulting an advisor. All right, so that said, let's get into the show. Ryan, quarterly results are starting to come in. What are you seeing in Canada and the U.S. at companies this quarter? So, I mean, quarter to quarter overall, we're not
1: too concerned with what happens at a company. You know, if they they miss their earnings estimates by a penny, usually we're okay with that. Um, We're not not focused on that short term. So we're really trying to think more longer term. But still, you can get a pretty good pulse on the market. So, You kind of look at all those quarterly earnings sort of in, in aggregate and see what's happening in that total market. Sometimes you can see maybe... A certain industry that's lagging a bit, or you can pick individual companies within those industries that that have really kind of missed the mark, where all the other companies are outperforming. So, so it is good to kind of help you get a just a general pulse on what's going on in the markets by looking at uh, the, these quarterly results. Um, you know, in the U.S. markets have been on a tear, companies have been on a tear, uh, analysts have been increasing their earnings estimates, and companies have still been beating those estimates by by wide margins, which is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, A great example is Google recently reported or technically Alphabet recently reported earnings and they beat their earnings per share estimates by 22%. And they have 45 full-time analysts covering this company. So if you think about that, you have 45 people, well, 45 teams of people that are really digging into to this company, trying to figure out what the earnings are going to be quarter to quarter. And they still... Missed it by 22. That's pretty. This, this is just a testament to how big these types of companies in the U.S. are getting and the kind of scale they have. Um, so you know you're hearing a lot of f- concern over these fang names in the U.S. I mean, as we talked today, Facebook goes down like 20 percent or something like because they did miss their their estimates. Um, but the reason that these fang names are doing so well and they're beating all the uh, expectations is because they have this giant scale and they're performing as well. Their their operations are beating. In most cases, what people are thinking they're going to do. So when we look, we're we're still pretty early in the earnings season. When I checked this out about um, a day ago, forty percent of companies on the S and P 500 had reported. Based on revenues, we have seventy six percent of companies that are beating analyst estimates, and then we have eighty two percent that are beating estimates on earnings or earnings per share. And so the, that's a that's a strong number, right? And again, you know, we're only forty percent in, into the the earnings season right now. But what we like about this number is that not only are they beating estimates on on earnings, you know, where you maybe can do some kind of accounting, I mean, trickery is probably not the right word, but we'll use that word anyways. And we can, can do some counting adjustments, I guess, to uh, beat earnings. But you're also seeing strong beats on the revenue. So the strong revenue is that top line growth is matching the earnings as well, which is uh, which uh, gives us comfort in the, the quarterly results. On the Canadian side, we have less companies reporting at like 14% so far. So we'd probably read a little less into it at this point, but... You uh, still have 57% of companies beating on revenues and 71% of companies beating on on earnings. So, still, I mean, obviously not as stellar as the U.S. It usually goes that way. Canadian companies, just for whatever reason it is, aren't quite as strong than than their counterparts on the U.S. side, but still doing uh stu- still doing well, still performing um at the early innings of this quarter. The uh, the big caveat that we're seeing here, though, is that you have. Um, yeah, some companies starting to talk about concerns from tariffs and uh, you know trade war concerns, and some companies are saying they're not necessarily coming through, but you know this could uh, lead to some volatility in their results going
0: forward. Some of the companies you are talking about obviously are involved in international trade, and everyone seems to be worried about tariffs right now. How should an investor approach this risk?
1: Yeah, so the uh, the tariff issue it's a it's an interesting one, and I think it's it's important to be clear here that nobody really knows what the the quantifiable impact's going to be here. I mean, the goalposts move every day with with a tweet or a international meeting. Um, even the companies themselves are just with these quarterly reports we're seeing now are just starting to give a hint of what they think they may be seeing in terms of added costs and things like that. So right now, the the big impact looks like it's it's on companies that have large uh, steel inputs. So you've seen a lot of the the car manufacturers kind of downgrading their their forward guidance. But we've also uh, read read up on a few quarterly releases of companies that do uh, you know capital equipment like uh, tractors and transport, like building that, that type of equipment, and they're saying that you know what we're we're worried about it. We're concerned about these kind of uh, added costs, but we're just not seeing the. Uh, the impact yet, so so overall, we kind of view it as one of those things of I mean, there's nothing as an investor, there's nothing you can do about it anyways, right? There, I mean, tariffs may or may not happen, and you can't really predict what these uh, tariffs are going to be added to. So we think kind of just stick with whatever portfolio asset allocation is appropriate for you. I mean, maybe you can do some some trimming around the edges, you know, get a bit more defensive by adding some cash or something like that. We don't think. Um, we've, it, over time, it's going to pass. It's a, we, we view it as a short-to-intermediate-term issue, and we don't think a portfolio needs to be um, you know, turned upside down in any material way to adjust or protect against these tariff risks. When you're, some things we're reading, too. Uh, Kevin Carmichael did an interesting interview of uh, the Bank of Canada governor, Stephen Pillow's. I think maybe we can share, share a link to the interview because it was, it didn't get as much attention as I think it, it deserved. But in the interview, um, even Stephen Pelosi was saying, you know what, it's, it's a concern, it's something we're watching, but they just weren't seeing an overly material impact in the, uh, in the numbers from, that was the takeaway I, I got from it from, from reading this interview as well. So, um, you know, there's some added comfort where, you know, someone who, whose job is to kind of look at these type of issues with um, their where they're saying you know we just aren't seeing much a material impact yet or um we're maybe just not that overly concerned from what we're seeing with it so um you know it's one of those things you want to monitor you want to watch it but we don't think it's something that you need to you know go to cash because or anything like that and and nobody really wants this either right even even people even the u.s side of things they don't really want this to drag on. They're hoping they can get some better deals out of it. But I think uh, everyone, pretty much everyone that you listen to or talk to is saying that, you know, trade wars aren't good. Tariffs don't work over the long term. And I think cooler heads will prevail eventually over time.
0: Now at 5i, you do, you and the team look after three model portfolios. Have you done any sort of changes to those portfolios in light of this news and all this speculation happening around tariffs? Yeah,
1: you know, not really. Kind of sort of talking about how we don't think you need to do any anything overly material uh, in your portfolio. We haven't really done a whole lot where um, we sort of, I guess we, you could say we we're taking more of a proactive approach where we set the portfolios up in a way where they're more diversified and they have exposure to all of the different industries. So yeah, there's some industrial exposure in the portfolio, but you know what, when it if it's 5 to 10% of the portfolio, when it goes down, it's not going to destroy the performance. And um, those lower prices could just be an opportunity to add if it's a great company that we like anyways. And that's why we own it in the first place. Um, any companies that, that are in these portfolios are there because we think they'll perform well over 3, 5, 10-year periods. We're less concerned, kind of as we were talking about earlier. We're less concerned about that, that single quarter or even that single year performance.
0: And then how does an investor shield themselves from all these headline risks and not end up just hiding their cash under a bed out of fear of all that's going on? I mean, it's really easy to get caught up. And, you know, if you watch the news consistently, you know, it, it, there's a lot more fear out there, right, than optimism oftentimes. How do you how do you deal with that?
1: Well, it's, it's a classic case of fear, fear sells, right? Like it's much more exciting to read about something about why uh, the market's going to crash tomorrow than to talk about how. Reinvesting your dividends over the long term will create compounding returns and make you lots of money over the 30-year period. That just doesn't write right in an exciting way, uh, for better or worse, I guess. Um, but whenever you know people get concerned about whatever recession is around the corner or depression or certain you know yield curves inverting, whatever you want to call it, um, we always like to pull up a. Uh, A long-term chart of the market. So JP Morgan does um, this—I guess you call like a chart attack every quarter. Um, And whatever. Oh, it's called Guide to the Markets. That's what it's called. Yeah, and it's like—I think it was probably like fifty to seventy interesting slides they they put in it. And so one of them is always this uh, chart of the S and P 500 going back to the 1900s. And when you look at it, it essentially just shows that the S and P 500 over time has just gone up. And then any any issue, you know, even if it's, I mean, the Great Depression, was a fairly big blip in it, but every other kind of war, issue, concern, whatever you want to call it, just looks like a blip over the long term, right? So it's, you know, if you can look out five or 10 years or even longer, we think you can largely just kind of ignore probably 90% of of those fear-based headlines out there. And just so when you're worried about what's going to happen to your portfolio, even if it's in a 10% drawdown, just we'd like to just pull up that chart and, and see what happens over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years if you're, if you're patient and you think long-term.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Even if you look at you know 2008, for example, I remember when that was happening. I mean, there were people saying, oh, the entire system is on the brink of collapse. I mean, it's kind of you know some of the worst thing you could possibly imagine. It's all you know the sky's falling type of mentality. And even from that, if you're looking long term enough, it actually has recovered as well. So um, yeah, it just goes to kind of uh, a testament to what you're saying, I think, for sure. Uh, so Ryan, one of the services that 5 Reach Search is famous for is the ability for the members to ask you and the research team their stock and investing questions. And you and the team have already answered over 57,000 investor questions, which all members can actually learn from in your archives. And, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, too, to anyone watching that because you guys are, you know, 100% independent, you don't take any commissions and you don't sell investments, everyone knows that your answers and insights and research are actually conflict free and unbiased. So, you know, with that said, let's get into some of these you know, investor questions that you've been getting, you know, as part of, uh, you know, from your 5 i membership. So, you know, the first one uh, question we got uh, from a member was regarding Stella Jones. Jones. So uh, they said that there's a secondary offering today and it's at a large discount. Do you know why? Uh, and then for also for anybody not sure what a secondary offering is, can you explain what that is as well? Yeah. So uh,
1: Stella Jones is a fantastic Canadian
0: story. We cover
1: it at 5i Research. And essentially this company, um, they're a producer and treater of railway ties um, you know that, that trains run on, and uh, utility poles as well. So it's a super boring business when, when you look at the paper, but but oftentimes the boring stocks are, are great ones as well. Uh, and so they ha- they've had a long-term owner, uh, like an insider shareholder, that's owned, they currently own about 30% of the shares. Uh, and they've owned it since pretty much day one. And when you look at the returns of Stella Jones, they have thousands of percents of, of returns over the years, it looks like. So um, with 30% holding, it's hard not to move the market when you, when you try to get rid of those shares. And they're, they're probably in a, in a position where, you know, we've made so much money on this stock and we're, and I'm just speculating here. We don't know the true reason why they decided to go this route, but they probably were just saying, you know, we just kind of want to close this chapter of our lives on it. We're happy with, with how we've done on this company. Uh, and so they decided to kind of, offload all of those shares to other institutions and the CEO in kind of a one, you know, pull the band aid off quickly kind of manner. The other way they could have done is they could have just over time, you know, started selling. Whatever it is, 5% or 10% of their, of their position every month, quarter, year, however they want to sell, set it up. But that was probably just going to create just as much risk because then people always get worried when insiders sell because they worry about, oh, is there something going on in the background that we don't know about and things like that. So, so we figured they probably just thought, you know what, we can do it one way or another, stock like, stock price is probably going to go down regardless because it's such a large position. So um, they did it this way. And uh, the deal is interesting because they're actually now getting a lot of the Canadian pension plans involved. So um, I think uh, PC Investment management's involved. OMERS is involved. Um, LaCasse in, in Quebec as well. So um, they're kind of – they're taking – well, a small group of insider shareholders, and now moving those shares over to large institutions that can really help support this company and um, probably get them access to um, financing at at very good terms. And usually, these companies tend to be longer term, or these institutions tend to be longer term holders of the stock, right? So it's not a you know a private equity or a hedge fund that's going to try to flip the shares on them or something. So the deal is really interesting. I mean, nothing really changes with the, with the private placement. Uh, side of things essentially just an efficient way to move shares from one holder to the other with kind of creating the minimal amount of disruption as possible um and the shares actually so the discount was i think about 15 percent to what the prevailing share price was and they um i think they only dropped about half of that to so maybe seven percent which is a pretty good sign of support because usually when there's a bot deal at a discount the shares will drop down to uh to that share price, but but overall, you know, nothing's really changed here aside from maybe a stronger shareholder base overall. So uh, it's it's been an interesting development uh, to watch for sure.
0: And let's change gears a little bit and talk about ETFs. So one of the questions we received was, we're uh, going China. If somebody wants to have exposure to China, what ETFs would you suggest one considers?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're we're obviously not. Um, we don't cover the the, uh, Chinese markets closely by any means, but from a, from a portfolio perspective really should have some, uh, some assets allocated kind of globally, right. Whether that is China specifically or more broadly emerging markets, um, you know, you have Europe, you Canada, us, all those kind of things. So, um, we're getting a lot of interest in China right now, just because the stocks have been, or the markets in general have been on a bit of a decline. There's some maybe some hints of slower growth in China. And also these, these trade wars have a lot of people uh, spooked a bit. So um, on the flip side though, all this tariff stuff, as, as you're talking, you know, if over the intermediate term, it gets resolved, it could just be kind of a, um, a non-issue longer term, right? So, so, you know, the, the lower that these markets go, the more interesting they could be for a long-term, long-term investor. So one of the, uh, there's kind of two options that, that we like to suggest. And the one is, um, it's iShares is MSCI China ETF the ticker's MCHI and it's just more of a broad market uh, ETF exposure kind of uh, more balanced across industries but if you want something a little more more higher risk uh, one of the ones we often look at is the Invesco China Tech ETF and it's a uh, CQQQ is the uh, is the ticker and so you're kind of getting the you know those high growth Chinese tech tech names, um, like Tencent and Alibaba, and names like that. So, you know, I mean, both the Chinese space Chinese is higher risk in general, just because it's more of an emerging market, but um, those are those are two options to, to consider if you're looking for that kind of Chinese ex- uh, ETF exposure. Um, there are plenty of, uh, of options out there, though, so these aren't necessarily the, the be-all and end-all of, uh, of ETFs, but um, those are kind of some of the ones that we often default to.
0: And what's when it comes to this? What's your take on you know, this investor was in particular interested in China, but what about you know, if someone wants some China exposure, but they're not? In trying to bet on any specific country or anything like that, they're just looking for some nice broad international exposure. So, so I'm thinking of XEC, for example, as an example, right? Where it's you know takes it you know big takes basically emerging markets. So includes China, includes you know the other sort of you know uh, countries that fit into uh, you know that index. What's your take on you know an investor kind of going that route instead of you know kind of picking and choosing, saying, okay, I'm going to do this China ETF and I'm going to do another one that's maybe focused on another country. You know, what's your kind of how do you deal with that kind of dilemma for anyone wondering?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it depends on the, the investor I'd say. So definitely, I mean, nothing, no issue with someone that just wants to take that, you know, shotgun approach to, to the emerging markets and get, I know Vanguard has some, some pretty solid emerging market ETFs out there as well. Um, So like, I'd say it's, it depends on how much time and how much of a view you have on a, on a certain specific industry um, or sorry, region. So, Definitely can't complain about just doing that broad, you know, Vanguard approach as as you were mentioning. But the one thing that we always think about is um, I guess the options you have available or, or your flexibility. So we like the ability to, you know, if a certain region is declining compared to others, maybe you can use that as a tax loss selling opportunity or something like that. Whereas you can't really pick and choose those individual regions um, in kind of that broader ETF. But if you maybe take a, I mean, you could kind of copy your your broad emerging markets ETF and just buy each region through an individual ETF, right? And then you can rebalance and kind of get a bit more tax efficiencies that way. Um, but that's more of a hands-on approach. So, I mean, this, uh, which is why we, we kind of think it goes goes back to style. I mean, if you hold a you know, basket of regions that are the same as just a single ETF, they're going to perform relatively similarly. Um, but if you just like that extra flexibility, we think you can maybe um, kind of disaggregate that holding into, into individual ETFs. Or maybe you could just hold the specific like XEC I think you mentioned. Um, you could hold that one. And if, if you're really um, excited about the Indian economy, you could go buy a, a, an ETF that tracks the Indian market, something like that. Um, to kind of get you know that extra leverage to a, to a market you have a specific uh, opinion or view on, or you like for reason X, Y, Z. So so th- there's no um, single or right answer. We think that kind of com- it does come down to uh, you know what your preference is, what your style is, and how much time you wanna you wanna put into monitoring your your individual ETFs in and of itself.
0: Mm-hmm. And then just do you know roughly how? I mean, especially all this tariff talk, right? And then all this kind of fear around that for anybody that's maybe, you know, maybe they haven't rebalanced in a while, maybe, you know, is now kind of, you think, maybe a good time sort of to do it now um, because of what's been happening in the market with the tariffs? Or maybe add some little extra weight if, if you want, anything like that?
1: Yeah, we when you look at rebalancing, I think you just have to um, really look at it as a portfolio-specific type of approach versus um, trying to time the markets, you know? So you set your limits if it's you know, if you're, depending, let's say we're talking about ETFs and you're okay with an ETF getting up to 10%, you know, but once when it goes over that, you rebalance. So, I mean, regardless of what's happening, if that ETF hits 10%, we'd rebalance out of that one into one that's, that's done worse and is maybe below, let's say your lower band is a 5% weighting or something. So you'd rebalance into that one at 4.5% to bring it up to a five. Um, so, so we'd either do it that way, or maybe just timing where it's, you know, every, six months I'm going to rebalance all of my holdings back to equal weight. I mean, whatever your strategy is kind of thing, uh, we'd approach it more uh, methodically that way versus, okay, I think, you know, the US markets are topping out right now. I'm going to take some profits out of this and go into something else. Because um, that's more like trying to time the market, which oftentimes or statistically just hasn't really borne itself out in the numbers.
0: Awesome, thanks. And uh, we have another member question where the member asks, I have been watching premium brands, so P, B, H, uh, slowly go down every day for the last little while. And I was wondering what, the new, uh, what news is out there causing this?
1: So it's, just, it's always interesting to see. My, my response on this one is going to be, it's going to be less about premium brands, just but what we see often um, in stocks, especially small to mid-cap stocks, which is the space we, we'd like to focus on. So you often hear about efficient markets, and you can't beat the markets because they're all efficient. Everything's priced to perfection. Um, over the long term, this this is I, I would say this is true. Um, but shorter term, there are inefficiencies, and there's definitely inefficiencies in the, the smaller to mid cap space where you just have less less eyes and less money kind of chasing these stocks around. Um, so often, what we see is that investors just get bored. They get bored of a company that hasn't done anything over six months or hasn't had any press releases or anything, uh, and they just start to sell it. So then you kind of have people selling the stock down a bit, and then maybe it starts to decline. So then you have more investors sell because, well, the stock is down. Nobody wants to hold a loser, right? So then the more it goes down, though, then people start to really read into it, start thinking, well, something something must be going on in the background here. Um, Something's fishy. What don't I know? All that kind of thing. So you get... Um, more selling, you kind of get this fear-based selling panic spiral that mess that that occurs where um, the stock just keeps on going down. People get scared, they sell more, and it just continues and feeds on itself. Um, and you definitely see this more in kind of the smaller securities than you do on the larger ones, where you have you know big buyers who can say this decline makes no sense. I'm going to step in here. Um, and we honestly we think that you know premium brands is a great example of this. As a company that's been a great creator of shareholder value. Um, they tend to buy back shares, pay good dividends, and they'll once in a while go out and do a sizable acquisition to kind of help ramp up their growth. And it's a well-managed company. It's just sometimes not much happens at the company. It can be kind of boring. They do a uh, food manufacturing essentially. And we think people get bored and just sort of sell it and then get scared because there's not necessarily a whole lot of uh, analyst coverage on the company. So, Kind of a fun um, extra piece that we see to this often is that um, our Q&A section is when we have people asking us questions. We, we tend to find it's almost a bit of a contrarian indicator sometimes where, you know, stock will be down, whatever the percentage is, let's say it's 10%, and we'll get the increasing flow of questions on this company. And usually we notice it when there's no news on the company, right? So you'll get, I mean, you can kind of feel it where we almost start, 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 stressing out just from the question flow that's coming in of nothing that, and same answer it's nothing's really changed here so yeah stocks is down but we don't see a reason to sell it because there's no reason the fundamentals are still strong it's just uh we really think it's just selling because it's down but then usually when we're kind of hitting that point of uh of frustration i guess if you want to call it is, is when you know that it's almost it's when the sentiment's about to turn because um, right then you see a stock pop another 5% the next day or something like that just because you know it's been oversold and people just get, get scared because it's been um, been sold sold down so much. So it was kind of interesting. And probably on the on the other side, it's the same with the Q&A section. You almost have a, a hype thing too where stocks are doing really well. And you're getting a lot of question flow, people kind of trying to... Uh, get some aid and analysis on the company and you might know things are maybe getting a little too hot on that side of things. So we've never done anything to test out this, uh, this theory yet, but um, names like a uh, Kovalon and Embridge, very, very recently were two that were kind of had that situation where they were getting sold down, no real news going on, no reason, f- no explanation for it. And then lo and behold, you know, maybe a month later, they, they both rallied very, uh, pretty strongly. So interesting, interesting regardless.
0: So when we hear investors talk about momentum, is this pretty much what you're referring to here, where it's starting to go down a little bit, may not be any for any reason. Some investors are just bored, there hasn't really been anything exciting happening at the company, and then it kind of goes into that spiral as you described it. Is that kind of the what people refer to when they talk about momentum?
1: Yeah, if, um for the most part, yeah. Yeah. For on the downside, it's kind of uh you know, selling begets selling and buying begets buying, right? So you kind of have this herd mentality where where people rush into a stock or rush out of a stock because it's moving a certain way and people are trying to kind of catch that, that move. Um, and oftentimes on top of it, companies that have good momentum, have good, I call it operational momentum as well, where things are going well at the company, right? So they have a couple good quarters, people are catching on, but then those, those qu- good quarters can like companies don't turn on a dime, right? So when things are going good, yeah, usually should have a bit of, you know, I guess running room for that company because, demand's obviously growing at the company and earnings are growing and the markets are taking time to catch up to those fundamentals. So yeah, it's definitely kind of a fair, um, fair way to view, view momentum overall.
0: And do you find with this momentum, do you find it happens more kind of when, when things are going down or is it, does it happen more when it's going up or is it, is there a kind of a, a preference? Yeah, I don't
1: know. That, that's interesting. I don't know if there's one, um, I'd have to look into that if there's, you know, downside momentum versus upside momentum is, uh, is stronger. My guess would be um, just kind of the gut feels that downside momentum is stronger because um, the fear of loss, right? Where people are much more um, quick to throw in a towel. Whereas on the upside, if you have a quick gain, you're going to kind of kind of take it. And so, you know, as you sell those gains, it's kind of keeping the, the demand down on that stock essentially. So, um, that'd be kind of my guess. It's a it'd be an interesting uh, thing to look at, actually. But, but yeah, my guess would be that negative momentum is a bit more aggressive than than uh, upwards momentum.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's been even psychological studies on this, not just for investing, but just in general how we want to avoid l- we place a much higher priority on avoiding losses than on getting a gain right that the fear is kind of the number one dominant thing and then (laughs) yeah this really comes i guess after (laughs)
1: there's probably some like turning point right though where you just get like ultimate fomo or something and like you have the bitcoin situation where where people just plow into a bubble or something like that so there's probably some weird threshold at, at whatever percent it is um but yeah it's definitely uh that's interesting interesting thought though
0: all right, we had another question about Hydro One. Uh, should we be concerned about the forced departure of the CEO and declines in Hydro One?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm not going to get too deep into the the politics here and let other people people stick to that one. Um, but I think people often forget in, with CEOs, especially at big companies, you know, all, not all, in a lot of cases a CEO doesn't make a company, right? Um, you know, you have your exceptions, you have your Warren Buffetts and your Elon Musks out there that that arguably are a lot of the company to, to some degree, um, but a company like Hydro One probably isn't one of those companies. They, um, 50% of their business is in electricity transmission, um, which is moving electricity over power lines essentially. And they operate in Ontario and they own 98% of Ontario's transmission capacity, right? So you pretty much have a company that has a monopoly in electricity transmission that's 50% of their business. You know, no matter, I mean, you probably want someone competent in the role for sure, but no matter who you have running the boat there, like it's, it's probably gonna be pretty hard to screw that up. Right. Um, And there's, I mean, I'm not trying to discount anyone's impact at at, at a company like that, but um, you probably don't need a visionary CEO at the helm of a company like Hydro One. Um, And with, with, or without that person, they're probably not going to move the needle a whole lot. Now, there's other things going on at Hydro One where they do an acquisition and that's kind of creating a bit of a disruption in that process because there's no one to uh, kind of lead the, to steer the ship with that acquisition right now. But again, big company, there's definitely other people, skilled people at that company that are dealing with it and we think they will over time. Um, so here you have kind of a interesting utility type of company with half their business some monopoly type of um, business and the company is getting sold down because something that they probably will get over over the next you know six months to a year whatever that time frame is where where it does get a bit messier though is it does set a weird precedent right where you have a company that it has a large ownership stake from from the governments and now they're showing a propensity to get involved in in the company itself so as far as you know what kind of premium multiple are you gonna award a company like that that does kind of start to weigh on things so I mean, maybe a company like Hydro One does get discounted a little bit because of that. um, And it creates some risks as to what are they going to do next in terms of meddling in the business. So, so there are, I mean, those risks were always there though, right? But now they are at the forefront. So, you know, maybe a bit of a discount is, is it's appropriate here, but you still have a company that's paying about a 4% dividend yield. And I mean, we don't like, it's probably going to still be there in, in 10 years kind of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, so interesting developments regardless. I'm not gonna make any recommendations on what people should do with individual stocks in this type of um forum by any means, but it's a uh, it's some, something to watch, that's for sure.
0: And then just to switch gears a bit, talking about the kind of the market in general, I mean, you mentioned the US economy in general, how well it's been doing, how well the companies have been doing. You know, are there any concerns that you're that you're starting to see just because you know you and the team you look a lot on the fundamentals of different companies you know you you kind of uh, can see if a companies are starting to get overvalued pretty quickly a lot quicker than others i would say you know do you see any sort of writing on the wall where you know we should be worried or what you know what are your what are your thoughts right now on kind of the current state of where things are
1: going back to kind of what we were talking about sort of the the time frames that we try not to um get overly concerned with, with short time goings ons You know, you, you still have a couple of things going on in the economy right now. You have low interest rates. Yes, they're rising, but they're, but they're still fairly low, which means you have cheap borrowing, borrowing overall, which can still kind of um, go towards uh, capital expenditures, expenditures, which help boost the, the uh, economic outlook. You have companies reporting earnings that are you know, still quite strong as we are talking about, there's still beating, uh, beating estimates, things are looking good. You have, uh, unemployment at record lows kind of thing. So, you know, but for every, every positive point I throw out there, you can find someone else with 10 other ne- random negative points they find. Right. So, um, but overall we, we think it's, it's hard. We think if you're looking for a reason to not be invested right now, we think you have to look pretty hard. You have to dig down into numbers to really, really find something. And, and in general, I, I kind of view it as if you really have to dig down to find a reason to do or not do something, that's a bit of a, a sign in itself that there's a reason you have to dig so hard to find that reason. Right. Um, usually, uh, the answer that's staring you in the face, I believe it tends to be, be the most obvious and the, and the right one, obviously not a, it's a blanket statement, but in most cases, I think that's probably a fair, fair way to, to live by. I think that's Occam's razor. Um, but, yeah, so, so you know, everything we're seeing kind of at the higher level just um, leaves us pretty positive on the outlook of the economy. Uh, and you know, you have all this tariff stuff, the trade war risk that people are talking about, but you know this there's been other issues around this kind of um, you know, on the u s side of things that people have been worried about, but they've tend to kind of pass with very little um, impact so far uh you look at people are concerned about the brexit stuff too and that didn't hasn't really um at least on a global basis hasn't really impacted the global economy a whole lot either so you know things are really good it's kind of a the the ship is rolling in the right direction right now globally so um you know it's it's hard for us to to be overly negative on on what we're seeing right now Mm -hmm.
0: No, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I really like how you publish an email uh, twice a month to the members, the 5i members, giving a market update of kind of, you know, because you, you guys are basically analyzing, even the research team are analyzing this day in, day out. You look at these things, you look at the fundamentals, you see where things are going. Uh, and I mean, that's one of my kind of, I always look forward to those emails to see, okay, well, you know, what's kind of, what, what's your take? What are you seeing things? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the negativity if you watch any of the news, right? I mean, you hear about, okay, now the US markets overvalued. So valued, some people are saying then then you hear Trump, you know, oh, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. Okay, the end must be near, from what I'm hearing on the news, right? And so it's very, I think, really easy to get nervous, and and like, and then emotions start creeping in. Uh, so I like how you know you guys constantly are monitoring this. You're giving updates every two weeks on how things are going, just so that you kind of are that. Uh, you know, uh, sort of, the, you know, the, you're, the, you're the calm one when all the things are go- might be going crazy elsewhere, to say, okay, look, let's actually look at the fundamentals, let's ignore this tweet for a second, and actually look at how our company's performing, Should we, do we really have anything to be worried about, you know, or is this kind of some of these things are just for show, and just to drive fear, and just to drive eyeballs to, uh, you know, that kind of thing, so.
1: It's funny, every, every two weeks when we do that email, too, we kind of sometimes... We're looking for things to uh, to talk about because again, we don't get too, especially on the macro side of things, we don't get too bogged down in the in the nitty gritty of stuff. We don't because we don't think investors have to right as long as your portfolio has good companies, um, in good or bad markets. They over the long term they should. Uh, Hopefully, reward reward investors. So sometimes we find ourselves just kind of saying, "Well, what's material that we're going to write about now?" Since we often debate, maybe just doing it once a month instead. But I think two week two week timeframe is is probably good, where you know it's still kind of staying away from that shorter term thinking, but also helps give everybody a bit of an update of, of you know what what people are focusing on right now, or worried about, and and maybe how to one way to think about it.
0: That's great. So can you tell us a bit more about you know, for anyone watching? Uh, how can anyone view you and your team's research for free? I know we have a way for anyone watching to do that. Uh, and tell us a bit more about 5-Hour Research as well.
1: Yeah, so 5-Hour uh, Research, we, we essentially do, I like to call it an investment research platform for investors. So at our website, you can get investment research reports. You can get three model portfolios covering uh, three different types of, uh, three different investor types. And um, We also have a question and answer section where you can ask kind of general investing questions, uh, ranging from you know what's a tax-free savings account to something more complicated like what is this specific metric in this company's balance sheet and and typically within forty-eight hours you try to get a response back to a uh, back to investors. Um, we found it's been a really good uh, what I want to call it a good good learning tool for for our members as well. So. Um, we focus on the small to mid cap Canadian equity space, and we're really looking at companies that, you know, are strong balance sheets, um, over hundred million dollar market cap, but nobody really talks about, you know, that they're, they're strong companies doing well with good fundamentals, but they're just not doing deals in the market. So maybe they don't get attention from the media or from, from analysts because they're not, uh, you know, producing, uh, financings and things like that to help drive, uh, Drive money money toward the banks. So, oftentimes we find there's a lot of. I mean, there, we know there's a lot of great companies out there in Canada, and and I'd say a large majority of the great companies in Canada get no attention uh, uh, in Canada itself, which is which is sad, but it, but it is what it is. So so we're kind of trying to find those find those great Canadian companies and and uh, draw them to a to our members' attention.
0: All right. A big thank you to Ryan. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know if you like or don't like having extra episodes like this and in this kind of format. Of course, don't forget to get your free 30-day access to 5 I Research along with a free one-year digital subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash research. And don't forget to double that interest rate that you're currently getting in your checking and savings accounts by signing up for free to my favorite bank that I've been using for years over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash eq. You'll get that extra perk of five free Interact e-transfers every month, and you'll know that you're getting one of the highest interest rates in Canada on your savings accounts. At the very least, use it for your emergency fund and any money that you're not investing. I've been doing it for years and they've consistently had one of the highest interest rates in Canada for every year that I've been with them. There's also no minimums and it's just a no-brainer to get that easy extra guaranteed return on your money. All right, so that link again to learn more and sign up for free is buildwealthcanada.ca slash eq. So just the letter E and the letter Q. Thank you sincerely for using that link to support this show. It's a huge help. There's no cost to you and enjoy the extra money that you'll get through their higher interest rate. All right, so thanks for your support and see you
1: next time. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.